I'm going to talk about what David said about others in his lament for the death of Saul and Jonathan, who had died in battle. David was a master of leadership, and we have learned many things about Christian leadership by studying the life of David. And in this lesson, I'm going to talk about giving honor, because that's what David did in this lament in which he talks about the good in Saul and the good in Jonathan. And you and I can learn from David's example that giving honor to others is a noble, wonderful, exemplary illustration of how God treats us. God looks for the good. He deals with the bad. He forgives the sin. And he encourages us and affirms us and blesses us and helps us. He is gracious. He is kind. He treats us better than we deserve. He is compassionate. He is gracious inasmuch as he gives us undeserved favor, and he is merciful inasmuch as he treats us better than we deserve. So I hope that we can learn from this lament that David wrote on the occasion of the death of Saul and Jonathan, the value to us as Christian leaders of honoring others. This means that we appreciate others, that being oriented toward others, to honor others, is easily, I think, encapsulated in the contrast between these two phrases. There are people, you know, who by their demeanor, by their behavior, by their attitude, it seems like they go from place to place announcing, here I am, with their thoughts on themselves. But David was not like that. There's another phrase which I think is more characteristic of David, and that would be to say, there you are. To be oriented towards others means that we're not going to be going around announcing, here I am, but rather, there you are, as an indication of our interest in other people. David was oriented towards others, and that's clear from the fact that he wrote this poem about Saul and Jonathan when they died. To be oriented toward others means that we give them our attention, that we honor them, and that we are considerate of them. David was a great leader. He was not self-impressed. He was others-oriented. Others-oriented means that we will be interested in other people. A simple thing like asking what is your name and saying something like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And then listen to what they say. Truly listen. And if you hear something in what they say that is of interest, you can ask questions about what you have heard. You ask questions about what you just heard them say, which shows that you were listening. You not only asked them about themselves, you not only asked them how they were or to tell you something about themselves, but you listened when they gave an answer. And I believe that's what sets a great leader apart from others. That is that they are interested in other people. Now this is what I pick up from David's poem showing his greater concern for Saul and Jonathan's memory than the fact that after 13 years 
we estimate, of anticipating becoming the king. David is not preoccupied with the fact that he now is finally going to become the king. Samuel anointed him with oil to become the king, and after 13 years of difficult learning experiences that God brought him through, David is now ready to become the king. David's not writing a poem about how he suffered so much and now finally is coming to the time when he is going to be made the king. No, David is not thinking about himself. He's thinking about Saul and Jonathan. Obviously, it would be more easy for him to be considerate of and say something nice about Jonathan because Jonathan was his friend. But be that as it may, the fact that David was concerned about others, he was interested in others, he paid attention to others, he listened to others, and he was desiring to honor others, gives to us a mark of greatness that I believe if we will strive for that, that we will be able to influence people more than if we are preoccupied by telling them things about ourselves. We will be showing interest in their affairs. It sets us apart as being a leader, a greater person, because we are interested in what other people are thinking and doing and experiencing. Let's read and then we'll make further comments. Verses 19 through 27 of 2 Samuel chapter 1. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain, may no showers fall on your terraced fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. In this lament, David shows his greatness in honoring others in several ways. In a previous lesson, we talked about the fact that he honored Saul, who was his enemy. Saul had made himself David's enemy. David didn't want to be Saul's enemy. He didn't want to consider Saul his enemy. But Saul had made David his enemy, so that made Saul David's enemy. David honored Saul, even Saul. And now in this lesson, we're going to see further comments that David made that show us the genuineness of his desire to honor others. David was grateful to Jonathan. In honoring his friend Jonathan, of course, this was different from honoring his enemy Saul. But both were appropriate. It was appropriate for David to honor his enemy Saul, and it was appropriate for David to honor his friend Jonathan. He was very grateful to Jonathan, his sworn friend. 
besides the tears he shed over him and the accolades and tributes that he gave him in common with Saul, he mentioned Jonathan with additional marks of distinction. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. Compare that, which was in verse 25, with this verse in verse 19. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel, how the mighty have fallen. This comparison suggests that David meant Jonathan when he referred to a gazelle. Verse 25 says, Jonathan lies slain on your heights. And verse 19 says, a gazelle lies slain on your heights. And that means that David was considering Jonathan like a gazelle, a beautiful animal capable of leaping from place to place on the heights in the mountains. He lamented Jonathan as his particular friend, my brother, he calls him, not just because of what he might have become to him if Jonathan had lived, but David considered him his brother because if Jonathan had lived, without question, he would have been very helpful to David in David's advancement to the throne and instrumental to prevent the long struggle that David eventually had with Joab, Abner, and Ishbosheth and the prolonged war between David and the house of Saul. Remember, for seven and a half years, Saul's house and David's house were at war with with each other. That would have all been eliminated if Jonathan had lived and had been able to help transfer the kingdom over to David in a smooth way, which Jonathan surely would have done because Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. David looked back in time and lamented for what Jonathan had already been to him. In verse 26, David says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. David had reason to say that Jonathan's love for him was wonderful. Why? Because it was a rare thing for a man to love the one whom he knew would take the crown that he might have worn. Jonathan was in line to become the king, and anyone that would stand in the way of Jonathan becoming king would naturally be a competitor, would naturally be somebody that Jonathan would be wary of. But to the contrary, David was Jonathan's good friend, and Jonathan willingly wanted to see David prosper and things go well with him. Jonathan knew that David would be the next king. He was not jealous of David. He wanted to promote David. This amazing honor that Jonathan consistently showed to David far surpassed the normal romantic love between a man and a woman. That's what David meant, that Jonathan was so unselfishly concerned that things go well for David, that that was an amazing love that far surpassed the strong affection that a man and his wife usually have for each other. Likewise, nothing is more distressful than the loss of such a friend. It is parting with a piece of one's self. So for David to lament Jonathan's death is another expression of David's strong love for Jonathan, his appreciation for Jonathan. And that also puts David and Jonathan in a good light. What is most pleasant 
to us, we are likely to be most distressed about when we lose it. The more we love something or someone, the more we grieve at the loss of it. The solution to this problem, if we want to avoid such grief, is to not love at all. But that is too great a price. I would much rather love and lose the loved one, having enjoyed the loved one, and having enjoyed the affirmation and encouragement that comes from friendship, than to try to avoid the grief of a loss by not loving. That's silly. That's immature. That's certainly self-centered. It is much better to love, even though we know that somebody's going to lose the other because one person will pass away before the other. But let us rejoice in the strength of the relationship and the strength that comes to us from an affirming loving relationship and then we will put up with the loss and the grief when that time comes. When David says of Jonathan and Jonathan's love surpassing the love of women, we must comment on this to understand what David meant and what David did not mean. David's praise of Jonathan's love does not mean that love between friends is inherently always superior to marital love. In David and Jonathan's case, there was a special, unique situation. David was to be the next king, and Jonathan normally, in those circumstances, would have been suspicious and jealous of David, but Jonathan was not. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I will do for you. Jonathan loved David and helped David, even though David would take his own place. David would take Jonathan's place and become the next king. Rather, the point seems to be the astonishing selfless quality of Jonathan's love for David. The scripture says in 1 Samuel 18.3, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. This was an exceptional, wonderful illustration of what love between friends can be. And I feel constrained to also mention that in our perverted generation, there are homosexual people who say that this phrase, that Jonathan's love was greater than love of women, your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. They say that that phrase means that David had a homosexual relationship with Jonathan and that David felt that was better than any heterosexual relationship. That is not what this sentence means. The perverse and perverted people of our generation will see things in Scripture that simply are not there. This is not a verse that talks about the superiority of homosexual love over heterosexual love. This is a verse that points out the value of a true selfless, others-oriented friendship such as David and Jonathan had. David was also concerned for the honor of God. He was not primarily concerned that now he was going to be the king. He was concerned for others. In this case, also for the honor of God. He says in verse 20 of this lament, Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ascalon, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. David was deeply concerned for the honor of God. 
for this is what he dreaded when he feared lest the daughters of the uncircumcised, the daughters of the Philistines, those who hated God, the God of Israel, if they would rejoice because the Philistines had conquered Saul and Jonathan, then that would be great disappointment to David. The Philistines didn't know God, and David did not want them to rejoice that two servants of God, the true God, had been killed. He didn't want the Philistine women to rejoice over the death of Saul and Jonathan like the Israelite women had rejoiced over the death of Goliath in celebrating what David had done and what Saul had done. Even if the Philistines were victorious over Saul and Jonathan, it wasn't that the Philistines' God was victorious over Israel's God. They may have perceived themselves to be triumphing because of Dagon, the God of the Philistines. They may have thought that their God won the victory over Israel's God, but that would not have been true. That was not true. Good men are touched in a very sensitive part of themselves when the God that they love is insulted. When somebody says something that, that insults God, we feel it deeply because we love God. When somebody uses the name of the Lord in vain, when somebody says the name of God when they're not praying but they're cursing or simply exclaiming something or using the name of God as an explicitive, just as an expression to show surprise or disappointment. That hurts because the name of God is a precious name, a name above all other names. And when God's name is used like that, it hurts us. And David was expressing that same thing. It grieved him in his heart to think that the people of Philistia would praise their God and defame the name of the Lord God if the news came to them that Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines. This is a contrast to the song that Israel sang years earlier, probably about 12 years earlier. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens thousands. If Gath heard this news, that former song of praise to the true God for Saul and David's victories would have been reversed. So David did not want the Philistines to celebrate their victory over Israel because it would make it look like the God of the Philistines had won a victory over the God of Israel. David was concerned for Israel's public welfare, as is demonstrated in this poem. Three times, once in verse 19, another time in verse 25, another time in verse 27, David wrote, The mighty have fallen. David was deeply concerned for the public welfare. It was the gazelle of Israel. It was the prince of Israel. It was Jonathan, his beloved friend, that was slain, and the honor of the public that was disgraced by Saul and Jonathan's death. So the strength, the army, reputation, and the national pride of the people of Israel was weakened by this military loss. David felt that loss. He was concerned for Israel. He was concerned for Israel's reputation. He was concerned for God and God's reputation. He felt it when Saul and Jonathan were killed. 
Public losses are felt more strongly in the heart of people with the public spirit. David hoped God would make him instrumental to repair those losses, and yet he lamented them. David felt badly when Israel's reputation was negatively impacted. Why? Because David loved God. David loved Israel, and he hurt when God's name was defamed. He hurt in his heart when Israel's name was defamed. And if you are a man of God, a woman of God, and something happens that defames God's name, or makes God look bad, or makes your church look bad, or makes the work of God look bad, it will hurt you. It will hurt because we love what God loves. And when it is injured and when it is defamed, when something happens that shows a victory over it, it hurts us. That's the price we pay because we love it. We love the church. We love our church. We love our people. We love our God. And when something happens that negatively impacts any of those, it hurts us. And it's okay to hurt when that happens because it shows we love it. And if we don't love the church we're serving, if we don't love the people we're serving, if we don't love the God that we're serving so that they could be ill-treated and it doesn't bother us, then something is wrong with our heart. Something is wrong with our leadership spirit. We are not qualified to lead somebody or something or to serve God if we are not hurt when that something or that God is hurt. That's the price we pay for Christian leadership. We love our church, we love our work, and when it is negatively impacted, we hurt. And it's okay to hurt in that case. David was a wise and holy man, and he had a fine imagination. And he was able to write things that expressed his hurt and his grief. The expressions are all excellent and calculated to stir our hearts. It's not enough to know the history in the Bible. We must also be emotionally involved. And that's why the presence of this poem here in 2 Samuel, among the historic records, of Saul and Jonathan's death, the inclusion of a poem is important and can benefit us because it touches our emotions and it helps us to see that David was emotionally impacted by the death of Saul and Jonathan. Here's what David said. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields. For there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. David, in expressing his grief that Saul and Jonathan had died on the hills of Mount Gilboa, expresses his grief by calling down a curse on those mountains. He was not speaking as an agricultural scientist, predicting that that piece of territory would not be fertile and would not raise crops, and that grass would not grow there. That's not what David was expressing. He was expressing his grief in a poem. And so he called down a curse on the mountains of Gilboa, which was the theater of this tragedy. This poetic expression is like that of Job when Job says, Let the day perish wherein I was born. 
It is not as though David wished that any part of the land of Israel might be barren, but to express his sorrow for the thing, he speaks with seeming indignation at the place. The worst thing he could wish to the mountains of Gilboa was barrenness and unprofitableness to man. The useless are miserable. It was the curse Jesus pronounced on the fig tree, may fruit never grow on you again, and that took effect. The fig tree withered away, and that incident helps us understand this curse on the mountains of Gilboa. The fig tree became useless. Gilboa became useless. David wanted this to be said as an expression of his deep grief at the loss Israel experienced when Saul and Jonathan died on the mountain of Gilboa. A very sad thing happened on that mountain. May it never be fruitful again, was David's lament. Fruitlessness is the reproach that David called down on the mountains of Gilboa, which having been stained with royal blood, hereby should forfeit celestial dues. Surely in this poem, Saul had a more honorable internment than that which the men of Jabesh Gilead gave him. The people of Jabesh Gilead buried Saul and honored Saul by burying his body. But David's expression of deep grief and sorrow at the death of Saul and Jonathan was a stronger expression. Saul's shield would no longer be rubbed with oil. What does this mean? A shield anointed with oil? Yes. It was customary to condition and preserve leather shields by rubbing them with oil. Isaiah 21, 5 says, They set the tables, they spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. Get up, you officers, oil the shields. Oil the shields. What does that mean? It may be more than coincidental that the particular wording of David's poem is associated with royalty. Not only were kings anointed for their office, but the word shield is sometimes used in the Old Testament as a figure for sovereign or chieftain. God, for example, is our shield. Saul was the shield of Israel. Beneath the literal meaning of the word is perhaps this implication. Sovereign Saul no longer anointed with oil. Alas, woe, sorrow, sadness. Our anointed king, our anointed shield is no longer with us. That's what David was saying when he lamented the loss of the shield and the shield would no longer be anointed by oil. In the lament of the bow, David paid due respect to the memory of Saul, his king, and Jonathan, his friend. But what he did was as much his praise as theirs. He was gracious to honor others. Whether you are in the preparation stage of your life or whether you have been already put in the position of leadership or having been prepared are now in a position to assist others as God prepares them. In either case, it is valuable for us to understand God's process of leadership development. David was prepared for leadership and now he's ready to step into leadership, into his position. And what is the final lesson that we have from this period? David, not thinking about himself, but lamenting 
the loss of others, grieving over their death. Oh, Lord, help us to be like David and to desire to honor others. Lord, we find such a good example in David. We pray that you'll give to us the grace. Give to us the largesse of heart. Give to us the wisdom and the insight, the love, the magnanimous spirit and attitude that we need to have so that we're more concerned about others than we are concerned about ourselves. May we be preoccupied with honoring others and not so preoccupied, not so much thinking about our own opportunities for promotion, that we will be a truly gracious leader honoring others and not thinking about getting honor ourselves. We want you to make us a good leader, and that means that we want you to help us forget ourselves and honor others, like David did, as is shown by this poem that he wrote. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll look forward to being with you again another time. Goodbye.